Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец, Сын, Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Yeah.
The book of Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We should mention right away that this instruction is addressed by the father to his son, which points to the fact that the well-being of the son depends on his voluntary dependence on the father or the advice or the counsel of his father. According to this instruction, honoring God from all that we have is tied to the presence of the fear of the Lord and our departure from evil, which can be our achievement under one condition if we make the decision to not view ourselves as wise in our own eyes which means to make the decision to define what is good and what is evil, not from our rational capabilities, but the revelations of the delegated authority of God placed by God over us in the face of our fathers, our spiritual fathers. Our disobedience to this authority affects the quality of our offerings, which in fact should be evidence of acknowledging over us of this delegated authority of God. Therefore, tithes and offerings can honor God and therefore give Him the opportunity to fill our our barns. First, when this kind of honor is worshipped to God and that delegated authority whom he has established over us, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3-5, through For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, that they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Second, when in this dedication a person expresses his hope and not from his business and his relationship with God, and therefore tithes and offerings that we offer to God is part of our portion because God is worthy to receive from us glory and honor. Saints who do not give God tithes and offerings according to the words of the law of God. In doing so, they refuse to give honor to God and instead they attribute these tithes and offerings to either themselves or whoever they worship. When saints begin to give their money to some kind of evangelist, however super they might be, however, you know, whatever kind of generals that, that they might be, Tithes don't belong to these evangel evangelists. Tithes belong to that house where you worship. This isn't your home. Somebody has sent them, and this somebody let him subsidize them. But if they begin to beg for money, who is going to give more? You must understand right away that these are rather emissaries and mammon rather than, than messengers of God. From these kind of 
companies, nothing will happen. These people aren't going to draw closer to God. Miracles don't draw people to closer and they never drew people closer to God. Those miracles that Christ had done, they did not draw people to him. Those same people had crucified him yesterday. He healed them. He, fe he fed them with food and then the next day they said crucify him take a look spiritual manifestations don't entice people to God don't bring people to God healing does not bring people to God gives to the Holy Spirit do not bring people to God the word the word anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit this is what brings people faith comes from hearing the word from the information that is contained in the word of God this we must understand therefore there are many people in churches who who are so called partnership partners of these kind of evangelists who are not tied to the church at all they have called they had called themselves no one has sent them they're not a church this mission does not go from the church it's not pastors that send them and today there are many of these kind of evangelist companies be careful don't give there because by giving your tithes there you have tied yourself to this ministry and you are going to um, follow this evangelist to eternity it'll be very it'll be very strange for many when all of a sudden they'll find themselves with these so-called evangelists in the lake of fire imagine that when a person begins to beg for money and say who will give one thousand who will give ten thousand remember whatever he may say after that this person is leading you into darkness he isn't going to lead you to heaven heaven is the place of volunteer not who wants what but for the rich and the poor a tenth part of your income if you want more Still, clothed it in the format of tithe. God does not accept voluntary offerings that are not clothed in the format of tithes. Tithes are hallowed. If you give this to God, then it is hallowed. It is Why do you then not want to call it tithe? Because somebody with horns and with a tail through his emissaries has told you that this is the law of Moses. But all of us, no, I understand, understand very well that tithes were independent of the law of Moses. They found their place there, but they continued to remain, as Apostle Paul said. He made a comparison between the Old and the New Testament, and there in the Old Testament, tithes gave up, were given to Aaron's priests, who's the head of which was Aaron, and here they are accepted by Christ, the high priest who has immortality, he lives in the face of his messages. Therefore, if a person has the goal of honoring God in tithes and offerings, and his motives will not be filling his own bar barns in abundance, but honoring God, then the result of this kind of offering will be wisdom and investment of our money in the right place in the right time. Second, wisdom, wisdom to 
будет представлять интересы Бога. The, the parable about the rich man and Lazarus is a good illustration about the incorrect uh, fulfillment of our desires, of the desires of man. The, off, the offering of tithes in which a person expresses his love toward God and worships God acknowledges his authority, acknowledges God's authority over him, it carries well-being for all of his body and food for his bones. We spend a lot of time trying to be healthy. We search some kind of medicine, some kind of doctors, but healing, the healing of our bodies turns out is found in correct worship to God. Worship without honoring God with tithes is not worship. Therefore, we are going to worship God right now in tithes and offerings by searching for His countenance and not material prosperity. And God Himself will worry about us being materially prosperous in our healing. Let us stand together and let us sing and honor God with tithes and offerings. Человеческого мира будет бушевать. Будет казаться, что все рушится, экономическая система. To whom the world belongs. Therefore, let us sing. That will gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, he was called to, according to the revelation of God, to raise his head to lift his offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that, he was faith, that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands a sign of your righteous act and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give in purely. I do not give in sorrow. And did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be open and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Ношу свое сердце, как хрупкую вазу. Ненароком споткнешься и в дребезги жизнь, чтобы я на пути не споткнулся ни разу. Чей-то голос твердит. Содержись, чтобы я на пути не споткнулся ни разу, чей-то голос твердит, Иисус, содержись, то ли грузно свистят ледяные метели, то ли грозы расщепят. Просто весной заволнуются ели, Чей-то голос твердит, Иисуса держись. Простираются вдаль бесконечные версты, Хорошо бы навеки туда унести. Где живется легко и свободно и просто, только голос твердит, Иисуса держись, где живется легко и свободно и просто, только голос твердит, Иисуса держись. А порой надо мной судьба посмеется, Я плачу ночами, о счастье вернись. И полынная горечь мне в душу прольется, Но в ответ лишь одно Иисуса держи. Когда в тишине о любви размышляю, Кто-то шепчет опять у креста научись. И тогда я свой взор на креста поднимаю И твержу сам себе, Иисуса держи. И тогда я свой взор на креста поднимаю И твержу сам себе, Иисуса держись Я ношу свое сердце, как рукую базу Ненароком споткнешься и в дребезь держись 
на пути не споткнулся ни разу. Чей-то голос твердит, Иисуса держись, Чтобы ты на пути не споткнулся ни разу. Иисус говорит, я с тобою
And so, those of you who have a Bible, you can open along with me to a familiar place of Scripture to us, but one that still contains the great mystery of relations between God and man. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus does the Lord stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. While studying the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who according to the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the order that is present in the teaching of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, this is a more uh, specific translation of this text, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Four teachings that we see here. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the doctrine of baptisms, which expresses itself in baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, and we have stopped to study the doctrine of laying on of hands that is presented on the southern side of New Jerusalem in three gates. Considering that a covenant between man and God is made in three baptisms, we can conclude that the doctrine of laying on of hands contains three levels of a covenant with God. This is a covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest. The covenant of blood in the water baptism, I'll remind you, is called to sanctify us and give God the opportunity to write the name that we are given by Him in the book of life, so that this name could serve as a seal of righteousness before God. Because the seal of righteousness that we acquire upon making a covenant of blood and water baptism is a new name given by God to a new creation which contains our divine fate in God in the subject of our calling or our vocation. The covenant of salt and baptism in the Holy Spirit is called to give us the opportunity to how God in our bodies and souls which are essentially God's. The covenant of rest and fire baptism is called to lead us into God's rest expressed in the Sabbath of the eternal day, where we receive the ability to demonstrate the results of the holiness we carry in our bodies and souls. Therefore, the doctrine of laying on of hands is the doctrine about a covenant made between God and man and man and God. 
The doctrine of laying on of hands is an image of the legal aspect in which a person, with his own hand, signs an agreement with God in which he consciously promises to serve God with a good conscience. Making this kind of contract in all three levels will always be tied to the presentation of our body as a living, holy, and pleasing sacrifice to God for reasonable service. That is why any sacrifice brought to God was called to be brought only when a hand was laid on its head. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for sin. Leviticus 1.4 The atonement for sin or justification that we receive through the laying on of the hand on the head of the sacrifice, which in the face of the Son of Man takes sin upon itself, is in fact accepting the conditions that are contained in all three levels of the covenant. Keep in mind, the doctrine of laying on of hands presented in three covenants is multifaceted, diverse, polysemantic, and multifunctional. Laying on of hands in the totality of three covenants is an image of proclaiming the faith of our heart in that Jesus is Lord and that God has resurrected him for our justification. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 10. This is taken from Deuteronomy. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Laying on of hands outside of the norms of the covenant and not according to the norms of the covenant will not gain favor in the atonement for sins. We have three levels of a covenant that pursue one goal but fulfill three different functions, each of which contains different images, elements, and meanings. In a certain format, we have already looked at the covenant of blood and the covenant of salt and have stopped to study the third level of the covenant. This is the covenant of rest, of which is said, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. Ezekiel 37, 27 to 28. Everlasting peace resulting from a covenant of God with man is the equivalent of the phrase everlasting rest because the phrase everlasting peace in this passage means eternal rest, eternal comfort, eternal day, eternal peace, eternal well-being, eternal prosperity, eternal wealth, eternal security, eternal friendliness, eternal joy, eternal triumph, and eternal communication. The image of the covenant of rest as a sixth foundation of the wall of New Jerusalem was made out of precious sardius stone. 
Sardius is an old Russian word meaning pleasing the heart or calming the heart. The term Sardius is traditionally used in Russian language literature and as of today refers to a yellow-orange-brown chalcedony. At the same time, in the West, the name carnelian has taken root in a similar meaning. Carnelian is very rare in nature, much less rare than is commonly believed. As far as we know, carnelian as a form of onyx was also on the breastplate of the high priest and therefore when it came to the authority of carnelian, God for Arimathene used the functions and voice of rest, by which is meant the voice of silence, voice of peace, voice of comfort, or the voice of quiet movement. It was with such a still small voice that God spoke to the prophet Elijah when while looking for God, he found himself in a cave on the mountain of God, Horeb. Therefore, the function of the sixth foundation of the walls of New Jerusalem refer to the powers contained in the covenant of rest, which a person can experience during communication with God only when he fulfills those obligations that are in a covenant of rest with God. And if a person is not familiar with the powers that are contained in a covenant of rest and what role God took upon himself in this covenant, as well as what role man was given, then this person will sooner be a violator of this covenant rather than a fulfiller of it. And if a person is not familiar with the powers that are contained in the covenant of rest and what role God took upon himself in this covenant as well as what role man was given, then this person will sooner be a violator of this covenant rather than a fulfiller of it. That is why we must in all seriousness study the purpose of those mysteries that are contained in a covenant of rest toward which God calls his children, saying, however, to better understand the nature of Sardius, which contains the powers of a covenant of rest, we will need to turn to the meaning of the name of the apostle that was engraved on the sixth foundation. The name of the apostle engraved on the sixth foundation of the wall of Jerusalem was Bartholomew. Matthew chapter 10, verses 2-3. Now the names of the apostles were named these. First, Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew. The name Bartholomew, which is mentioned here, but Holy Spirit, through the Gospel of Matthew, means son of Ptolemy son of Ptolemy. However, in the Gospel of John, the son of Ptolemy, or rather Bartholomew, was called by his personal name, which was Nathaniel, which means gift of God. When Nathaniel had met Christ, Christ called him an Israelite, in whom there was no deceit. John chapter 1, verses 45-47. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can, anyone, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Therefore, the name engraved on the sixth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem made of the Sardius stone means, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. From this we can summarize that the name engraved also means the Son of the Father, which is a gift of God that is a standard of a true prayer and the atmosphere of a true worshiper for all those who come to the Father. From this we can summarize that the name engraved on the sixth foundation made out of Sardius in the covenant of rest represents the true atmosphere for worship toward the Father in prayer 
in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The fact that the Heavenly Father is searching for worshippers who could worship him in spirit and truth tells us that he is not yet satisfied and is not yet found in a state of rest. By striving to find eternal rest in man who would meet the requirements of his image and likeness, God had once spoken to his people through Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 through 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place for my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is born of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. These two places of scripture are inspired by the Holy Spirit at different times and by different people. The prophet Isaiah and the Son of God and they are truly and they truly verify that God is not yet found in the rest of the seventh day. And the reason for such a paradox or such a contradiction with those scriptures that say that God has long rested from all his works at the dawn of creation on the seventh day when he arranged the earth and heaven and commanded Israel to honor the seventh day like the apple of an eye is that God, because of his omnipresence, is simultaneously in the past, present, and future. And when he begins to speak with us in the language of eternity, he shows us his completed will. But when he changes to the language of time, he shows that he is not yet at peace and he continues to create. By the way, it was precisely because of this reason that the Jews could not separate the language of eternity from the language of time and began to persecute Jesus and sought to kill him. Since he healed on the Sabbath and allowed his disciples to tear the ears of grain on the Sabbath so that they could satisfy their hunger. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. So, in doing so, he shows that the father has not yet come to rest, but they know he has come to rest. There, is the language of eternity and here is the language of time. That's the difference. God simultaneously dwells in all times. And when he dwells in the future, he looks at him that everything has already been done. He sees everything as already fulfilled and completed. But when he begins to speak in the language of time, which he has created, then he says, My father has been working, therefore I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. So they sought to kill him because of the teaching that Jesus was talking about. They thought he was making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Son, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. 
Why did Abraham search for the city whose artist and builder is God? Because he received a revelation that this city was called to be the eternal dwelling place of God and his eternal rest toward which he strived. Isaiah chapter 62 verse 1 For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. As you can see this is not just Jesus who said this but this is all the prophets who say that that God is still found not quite yet at peace he's still creating he's not yet satisfied. If the city whose artist and builder is God would have already become the eternal dwelling place of the Most High, then together we would already be either on the new heaven and earth or in hell. Because this city is a representative of divine light, which God calls day, as well as the bride given by the Heavenly Father to His Son, Messiah, meaning Christ. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent to me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 6, verse 44. God, by nature, knows in advance how one person or another will respond to his call to Christ, and therefore he draws people to his Son through the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the sovereign choice of man himself and his reaction to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Therefore, considering that the name of the apostle that yields and defines the nature of the covenant of rest on the sixth foundation of the heavenly Jerusalem. It means Son of the Father or gift to God that is the true standard of prayer in the atmosphere of true worship for all who come to the Father. We need to consider what this name and its powers of prayer and worship are met in Scripture, because it is true prayer and true worship that yields the powers of the covenant of rest. And obviously, in the format of this sermon, we likely will not be able to uncover all of the powers and angles of our relationship with God, which can and are called to flow only in the format of true prayer and true worship. Because the sphere and the sphere of prayer and worship is the sphere of the depth of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God that are unsearchable and will forever amaze, captivate, and delight those who abide in the covenant of rest. Romans chapter 11, verses 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him, and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Considering the fact that the first worshiper and prayer warrior arrived in the initial pages of Holy uh, Scripture is the Holy Spirit, then the first component of the power contained in the name of Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in the ability of the Holy Spirit to hover over the face of the waters, which represent the hidden intentions of God. 
Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. It is in the actions of the Holy Spirit that we discover the standard of a true prayer warrior and a true worshiper, bringing to fulfillment the hidden intentions of God, hidden in the face of the waters. Considering that the hidden intentions of God was His perfect will in which He wanted to demonstrate His grace, the verb hovered, yielding the nature and image of worship, means that the Holy Spirit, through His actions, penetrated and judged the intentions of God in the face of the waters, felt awe and excitement from knowledge of God's intentions, made Himself dependent on God's intentions, focused on the intentions of God and warmed them with Himself, grasped them and moved over them with the speed of lightning, expressed readiness to immediately fulfill God's intentions. According to the standard of worship, it follows that it is impossible to worship God without knowledge of His perfect will and without the desire to immediately fulfill this will. Therefore, if we are not familiar with the powers contained in the covenant of rest, which contain the mystery of the perfect will of our Heavenly Father, our worship will never meet the requirements of true worshippers. Due to ignorance, our worship will always be forged because we will portray our desires and intellectual waste as the perfect will of God. To worship God, it is necessary to know the perfect will of God hidden in His intentions. And for this purpose, it is necessary to have certain powers and instruments that will allow us to penetrate the intentions of God and judge these intentions. It is possible to penetrate and judge the intentions of God that our eye has not seen, our ear has not heard, and have not entered our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit on the level of worship in the Holy Spirit. For this kind of penetration, it is necessary to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit, one must accept the Holy Spirit and make himself consciously and completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. As it is written, eye has not seen nor ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritually judges all things. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
могли принять крещение Духом Святым, но не понимая и не сознавая ценности и полномочия, заложенные. Those who were carnal, they could have accepted the Holy Spirit, but because they didn't understand the properties of salt, they didn't use the power of this baptism. Therefore, they called themselves spiritual while remaining carnal. However, to penetrate the intentions of God and judge them with the power of the mind of Christ, it is necessary to be found in the order of God, which is present in the hierarchical subordination of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is the head of all authority. Because of this unchanging order, every subsequent authority, whether it be the authority of the Son of God or the Holy Spirit, is a delegated authority of the Father, because God the Father is the architect of all creation, both visible and invisible. God the Son is the engineer of every order, every creation, engineer of every in creation, God the Holy Spirit is the worker who creates every creation and order in which this creation must dwell strictly according to the plans and blueprints, the architect of which is God the Father and the engineer of which is God the Son. But because God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are the delegated authority of the Father, they represent the authority of the Father, not their authority. Then being on earth, Jesus, according to the words of his Father, he passed along his delegated authority to his apostles. Now, without this delegated authority, nothing will occur. We won't be able to penetrate anywhere. We won't be able to do anything for God or in God. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20-22. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. To some, God has given anointing to represent, to interpret his laws, to see them. And to others, he has given the anointing to accept, to listen, to understand them. The second component of the power contained in the name of Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in offerings that turn the favor of God upon men. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the fruit of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Having come across this place of Scripture on multiple occasions, we focused our attention on the fact that God first looks at the heart of a person and only then at his sacrifice. And if the heart of a person does not meet the requirements inherent in true worshipers of God, however correct the sacrifice may seem, it will be defiled by our heart. However correct it may seem, again, it will be defiled by our heart. Correct words, prayers will be defiled by the impurity of our heart. God first looks at the heart, and only then 
Does he look at the sacrifice? Exodus chapter 29, verse 36 to 37. And you shall offer a bull. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Correct words will be sanctified from the altar that is sanctified and holy. The heart of a person is the focus and place of a person's motives, his goals, and his aspirations. A heart that is not cleansed from dead works will use the correct words for the achievement of goals that do not coincide with God's goals. This kind of sacrifice or prayer is witchcraft and was not offered only by Cain, but Belaim also. They had used the correct sacrifice and the correct words to achieve goals that did not please God. For this reason, God did not look upon Cain and his gift as well as Balaam and his gift. True worship can only occur on the level of a pure and dedicated heart to God in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The third component of the power contained in the name Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in walking with God in the garden in the cool of day. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And Adam and his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Abraham, or called to, excuse me, Adam, and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He hid himself in those trees which God had planted, and these are known as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is he who planted, he who gifted. And we can feed from it. Walking with God in the cool of the day points to the fact that the atmosphere in which worship to God must flow. It is the atmosphere of the grace of God. Whereas scorching heat is an image of incinerating anger that is retribution for rejecting the grace of God and turning the grace of God into debauchery. Therefore, the phrase, and they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, then the Lord God called to Abraham and Adam and said, Adam, where are you? Means Adam and Eve heard a sound in their hearts indicating to them the conditions they lacked that were necessary to worship God. In the book of Job, one of his friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, talks about how in one of his visions of the night, God spoke to him in a still small voice and pointed out the conditions that he lacked in worship. Job chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it, and disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Fear came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Take a look here. He pointed out to this person that 
His worship did not coincide to the requirements because he begins to incorrectly judge of God and his will, his, his decrees. Why incorrectly? Because with his mind, he refuses to acknowledge the delegated authority of God who for this person was Job. And he began to judge him. And only then, when he had understood that Job is his delegated authority from God, that God said, I will not forgive you only if he prays. And we know that God said to the apostles, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. To whom you forgive sins, to them will be forgiven. And whom you uh, leave sins on them, will, they will be left. If he prays for you, then I will forgive your sin. That's why if Eliphaz the Temanite would have met the requirements of a worshiper of God, then from the still small voice that came from the noble Sardius, his hair on his body would not have stood up. And God, instead of pointing out to him his lack of conditions necessary for being a true worshiper, would have revealed to him the mystery of his will, just as he does with many of his messengers walking before him. Genesis chapter 5, verses 22-24. After he got, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God to him. I want to focus your attention to the fact that Enoch received the ability to walk with God or become a worshiper of God only after he begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked, after he had given birth to Enoch, he walked with God 300 years. Methuselah in Hebrew, Methuselah means banishing death. From this image, we can conclude that true worship is the result of the fruit of our spirit expressed in this fruit of holiness that is presented in the power of Zion. Only after the power of salt in the format of holiness destroyed in Enoch's heart the power of inherited sin could he accept the seed of the kingdom of heaven contained in the dignity of his name, Enoch. Because the name Enoch means dedicated to God. From this we can conclude that to fulfill our calling which we receive in a new name in the covenant of blood it is necessary to fulfill the requirements contained in the covenant of salt and only then having been salted or sanctified can we dedicate ourselves to God so that we can walk with God and worship him according to the requirements contained in the covenant of salt I would like to focus our attention to one more circumstance tied to the name Methuselah since this name also appears in, in the genealogy of Cain Enoch who walked with God came from the lineage of Seth who was given to Eve by God in the place of Abel, who was killed by Cain. The genealogy of Cain is a genealogy that represents the image of false worship in which every flesh has distorted its ways before God, for which God, as a result, sent the waters of the flood and destroyed not only the heritage of Cain, but also the sons of God who departed from true worship and accepted the image of Cain's worship. The, the first thing that Cain did when God banished him from the face of the earth was go and hide from the face of God in the land of Nun, which means the land of exile. And there in the land of exile, he gave birth to his firstborn son and called his name Enoch. And then from Enoch, who was born from Cain, finally came Methuselah, who was part of the third generation. However, the name Methuselah, who came from Cain, 
in Hebrew no longer means Metushalah, banishing death, but Metushayel, which means asking for death or carrying death. So one name, one banishes death, and the other is a carrier of death. Methuselah and Methusheel. Genesis chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 to see. And Cain said to the Lord, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built the city and called the name of the city after his name's son, Name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehujael, Mehujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Take a look, one of the same names, but according to um, the lineage of Seth, was then born, he's going to be the seventh from Adam. And for this one, the first one, there Enoch is a seventh, perfection. It's necessary in order to come to perfection, time is needed. But this one, right away, he becomes ready. Here we simply see what true worship is expressed in. The fourth component of the power contained in the name Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in walking out of the Ark of Salvation or onto the restored land. Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. Then God remembered Noah and of every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all the earth that is with you, birds and cattle, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. And Noah built an altar, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. In Hebrew, the meaning of the word re remembering means keep in remembrance of the heart, consider as hallowed, show his peace in the abundance of riches, or enter into the sphere of his welfare. Therefore, the phrase, then God remembered Noah, and every living thing with him in the ark means you and your household will be saved. Until Noah and all those who were with him in the ark came out of the ark upon the restored land, they could not enter into God's rest, although God has previously made with them a covenant of salt, on the foundation of which he promised to lead them into his rest. The reason why they could not rest from their works while they were in the ark of salvation was because God had not yet rested from his works. But when he met the sons of God and the daughters of men with the waters of his flood and poured out a retribution over them, he began to rest from his works. And when he rested from his works, he remembered his covenant that he previously made with no one his household, and he led them out of the ark unto the restored land, which is a prototype of the new heaven and earth, on which we will reap the results of the Sabbath in which God found rest. Therefore, the true component of worship is comprised of us, on one hand, partaking with God and condemning the wicked, 
just as Noah had done, and on the other hand, holding on to the word of patience that is tied to our future, partaking with God in his rest. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. The lack of understanding of our role expressed in fulfilling the judgment of God over the wicked is refusal to accept our role in the powers of the covenant of rest. And as a such a refusal deprives us of the status of God's worshippers. Only by fulfilling the requirements contained in the covenant of salt can we obtain a covenant of peace that is contained in this rest. Numbers 25 is 10 to 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, Say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. He had to do something in order to come for God. Being priests of God who bear the responsibility of intercessors, we, like Phineas, carry responsibility not only for ourselves but those who are found under our responsibility. And therefore, by defending the property of God, with the sword of the written word, by way of releasing retribution on rebels, we comfort God, and in doing so, we first save not only ourselves, but those who we are responsible for from the decay of sin. And second, we receive the right to eat of the fruit of the tree of life expressed in God's rest. This is how Christ had formulated this component of worship. John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The phrase go in and out points to the fact that if we enter into the ark of salvation, which symbolizes the death of Christ, but do not go out of this death, we will not find the pasture, which is the image of divine rest. In another place, Jesus had said these words, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets. He then explains his proverb. Beware of false prophets. Who, um, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So if a person preaches material prosperity in faith in God, if he pre preaches how to use the principles of faith in order to be materially successful, Christ says that riches are thorns. He says, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Know them by their fruit, who you are listening to. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, 
My name will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. And all of this, again, happens on the wide path. In this case, finding the narrow gate and narrow path that leads to eternal life is associated with the messenger of God who have the mandate of the delegated representation of the Heavenly Father to lead people after Christ through the preached word about the kingdom. Man's obligation is to distinguish the messengers of God from false prophets who call themselves true Jews while calling the messengers of God seducers. The fifth component of the power contained in the name Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in our partaking to the faith of Abraham. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. I would like to focus our attention to that aspect of Abraham's faith in which he believed God as one who saves from death, thanks to which he could bring his one and only beloved son as a sacrifice. Isaac was a deposit and guarantee that God gave Abraham and whose seed God showed Abraham, the city whose maker and builder is God. Again, take a listen. Isaac was a deposit and guarantee that God gave Abraham and whose seed God showed Abraham, the city, whose maker and builder is God. Because the city whose maker and builder is God are the children of Abraham from the seed of Isaac, from every tribe, tongue, nation. This is that city. And he had seen the city, he had said, take a look. In order to keep this deposit, Abraham needed to give it to God to keep it by way of offering. This demonstrated true worship. If we do not understand this principle, we will never place into circulation the silver of our salvation entrusted to us in the face of our Isaac, the result of which we will never become partakers of the city whose maker and builder is God. This principle of worship is comprised of the fact that if we do not lose our deposit in God, it will not resurrect. For Abraham, Isaac did not represent the city whose maker and builder is God. He was simply the seed of the city, which Abraham, in order to see the city, needed to sow. It is this principle in worship that is one of the fundamental components without which we will never see the kingdom of heaven. This was not fruit, this was the seed. He had given Isaac to him as the seed of the kingdom of heaven. And furthermore, he says, 
All of this will occur in the seed of Isaac. Isaac was the seed. He says, I will make these nations from the seed of Isaac. But in order for the seed to bear fruit, what did Abraham need to do? He needed to sow it, to sow it into the land of God, upon the altar of God. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 36 to 38, Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Therefore, when he saw in Isaac this city, when he saw the gathering of people, of different people, this was the city whose maker and builder was God. He had sought this city. And this city was found in the seed of Isaac, in the children of Abraham, who were going to belong to the faith of Abraham. Not all children of Abraham who are of his flesh, not all Israelites are Israelites. And Isaac is a seed, and it must be sown. If we do not sow, that which we receive, we will never see the city whose maker, builder is God. We will never be a part of it. We receive salvation. But why does the church not become the city whose maker and builder is God? Why do we, with such ease, can all of a sudden, when some kind of false prophet comes and begins to say, well, what? Your pastor tells the truth, or you listen to him only, or does he truly tell you the truth? Do you truly, truly believe him? Just like, just like when he came to Eve and said, did God truly tell you the truth? She said, of course. And then he says, no, this isn't true. And that's it. And she believes that this is true. It's very important to observe how we can keep it. We must place the seed in God. Because we have a couple more components, let's continue. The sixth component of the power contained in the name of Daniel, the son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in building an altar in Beersheba. Genesis chapter 26, verses 18 through 25. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. Another well, again, another well. So he called its name Rehoboam, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up there to Beersheba. 
And the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pinched, pitched his tent there. Genesis 26, verses 18 to 25. We should know that worship is building ourselves as an altar for burnt offerings as well as the offering itself. However, for true worship was also necessary a place that God would establish as the place to build an altar. Exodus chapter 20 verses 24 through 26. An altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. In Hebrew, the phrase where I record my name is equal to the meaning of the phrase and God remembered, only with a slight difference. The place where my name will be recorded, the place that I will hallow, the place that I will keep in memory of my heart, the place that will be my rest. And the place that God revealed Isaac for building an altar in which he recorded his name is Beersheba, which in Hebrew means Beersheba, or the well of seven or the well of oath. Another way to pronounce this place was Batsheba, which means daughter of abundance or daughter of comfort. These two meanings did not eliminate each other in any way, but on the contrary, they strengthened each other and revealed each other. And therefore, if we begin to worship not in Beersheba, which is the essence of the Spirit and the essence of truth, then such worship will yield the burning anger of God instead of His favor. Place of worship is a very important and faithful factor that is oftentimes ignored by the unbridled flesh because the place for building an altar on which God could record his name is a bridle to the flesh encroaching on its freedom from righteousness and truth. If you paid attention, then the threshold of this place, in this case, were the wells of Abraham that the servants of Isaac dug up because they were buried by the Philistines. They were buried by people who lived on the same earth and called themselves. They were, this was not their land. They were not truly Jews or Israelites or the children of Abraham, but they called themselves so. And he called them the same names that his, that his father Abraham called them. Then the servants of Isaac dug two more wells of living water in the valley about which they had a dispute with the herdsmen of Gerar. And then, having left those places, they dug up another well, which no one argued about, to which Isaac gave the name Rehoboth, which means a spacious place or an empty place. After digging this well, Isaac went to Beersheba. Scripture says that on the same night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. 
To call on the name of the Lord is possible only in true worship, because to call on the name of the Lord means to be ready to hear what God will say in order to immediately and irrefutably fulfill what was heard. Therefore, to call on the name of the Lord is to hover over the intentions of God that are hidden in the darkness of the depths of the water. However, let's go back to what prompted God and served for him as the opportunity to witness to Isaac that thanks to Abraham, his father, God will bless and multiply his descendants, which symbolize the city whose maker and builder is God. In this opportunity, and as we can see, were the wells of Isaac's father, Abraham, which the Philistines had buried but were later uncovered by Isaac, who called them the names by which Abraham called them. Only then, when the wells of his father Abraham were uncovered to their former state and could bring water to Isaac's house and his flock, Isaac, taking example from his father, began to dig up new wells, which the uncircumcised Philistines quarreled over, just as they had once quarreled over the wells of Abraham. Finally, in his search for living water, Isaac dug up a new well that no one else could quarrel over, and of which he said, this is a free place. It was this well, by the name Rehoboth, that gave God the opportunity to show Isaac the place where he was to build an altar to the Lord from the position of which he could call on God and worship him. This other wall that practically became the leitmotif for building an altar in Beersheba was a revelation about the bride of the Lamb or about the city whose maker and builder is God. Songs of Solomon 4.12 A gardener closed is my sister my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The record of the name of God placed as a foundation of the altar in Beersheba is the name of God, Adonai. The word Adonai means master. The word master in the Hebrew language is used both in relation to God and in relation to man. However, in Hebrew, the word, the word Adonai also means husband or spouse. In Holy Scripture, in Hebrew, the name of God, Adonai, means Lord, Master, Husband, Spouse, and named. The seventh component of the power contained in the name Nathaniel, the son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in building an altar in Bethel. Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, again, take a look, in order to worship God in the place where God had put a record on his, of his name, what does Jacob do? He says, He says, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob put them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place 
place, Elbethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bahuth. Then God appeared to Jacob, saying, He came from Padan Aram, and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God sent him, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful, multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall proceed from you. He talked with him a pillar of stone and poured a bill. So Jacob set up a pillar in place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel. In this component of worship, we are met with a place on which God recorded his name, which Jacob called Bethel, meaning house of God. The former name of this place was called Luz, which means almond tree. An almond tree is an image of God's vigilant over his words that it is fulfilled. It is there where God spoke to him. Jacob's meeting with God in this place prompted Jacob to make a vow to God, in which he promised that if God returns him in peace to the land of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and he would make this place a house of God, and of all that God gives him, he would give God a tenth of it. Now, when Jacob had returned to the land of his fathers, but was in a difficult circumstance where there was danger, uh, the danger of being destroyed by the nation surrounding him that was tied with his daughter Dinah, when uh, Shehem had uh, dishonored her and then asked for her hand, and then two of the two brothers, Simeon and Levi, when these people were circumcised, they had accepted the faith of Abraham. They went into the city and they killed everyone with a sharp sword. And then Jacob understood that they had behaved incorrectly before God and that now God would step away from him. And he said, there's... Very little of us, the surrounding nations, will destroy us. But here it says that this did not occur, that God so um, God appeared to Jacob and said to go to Bethel from all this we can conclude that worship that lacks the fulfillment of the commander commandment to honor God with tithes and offerings turns into ordinary farce because the lack of our tithes and offerings to God is evidence that our backs are turned away from God. Malachi chapter 3 verses 7 and 10 Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts but you said, In what way shall we return? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, is the Lord of hosts. I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room. 
to receive. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 and 10. The place of the record of God's name when the place of the altar in Bethel was called the name of the Lord of hosts, or Yahweh of hosts, which means the Lord of the heavenly powers. Under this name, God is revealed as a warrior who leads the battle for his chosen nation. It was Yahweh of hosts who fought with Jacob against the fear of death that proceeded from Esau. When we honor God with our tithes and offerings, we cooperate with the name of God and the dignity Yahweh of hosts. Eighth. The eighth component of the power contained in the name of Nathaniel, son of Bartholomew, representing the powers of true worship, is expressed in offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This component in worship to God is the final accord in understanding the depth, height, width, and length contained in the powers of the essence of worship. If in the previous components the essence of dedication to God and worship was expressed in, first, a trembling relationship toward the intentions of God, second, offering a sacrifice which yields the favor of God, third, walking before God, fourth, the conditions, giving us the ability to find the pasture of the kingdom of heaven, fifth, partaking to the faith of Abraham, sixth, building an altar in Beersheba, seventh, building an altar in Bethel, and eighth, offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here we will see the opportunity to know and penetrate the perfect will in relation to uh, in relation to ourselves and God. Then Romans 12-1-2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. As I have said in the beginning, Apostle Paul says, uh, I don't have enough time to talk about the other heroes of faith, so the meaning there are many other, many worships of faith. But I took a few examples of what worship was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and ending with Christ. I took things that we know that to explain that without these eight, eight main components that must be in unity with one another, we cannot worship God and we cannot enter into God's rest. And right now, we are going to pray and may the Lord bless us. May He bless us in our prayer and let Him un um, let us understand these words, meditate upon them, understand them. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to your holy name in Jesus Christ that you have sent us the deposit of your Holy Spirit that you, like Abraham, have shown us the city whose maker and builder is God. The city who you could have seen only in eternity because here on earth in the flesh it's very difficult to see your city when it is found either in G Egypt or in Sodom or in Babylon. 
But the day is coming when you will call your people out of Egypt, when you will call them out of Babylon, when you will call them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, so that they can be separated, because the hour of your judgment is coming and your retribution. And all of those who do not separate themselves and who remain, they are going to sow that same that same portion that Babylon will sow, that same portion that Sodom and Gomorrah will sow and all their surrounding cities. You desire for your people to be sanctified by way of separation. You yourself had said that you will take your angels, gather your gatherers, and they are going to begin to gather your gleams from among your people. Because everything has matured and come to harvest. And then you will bind these together to bind them that are going to comprise um, wicked people, satanic congregations that will, that will worship Cain and that will call their cities and their sons those same names that you that you call but allow your people to understand the essence of this worship that in it is contained your perfect will and that by following your perfect will you are and if a person does not leave sin you are going to destroy this kind of a person along with his sin and of course the descendants of Cain are going to proclaim that you must love everybody but you know that your descendants are not going to be swayed by this, these kind of lies. And they, like Noah, are going to judge the world because they will build an ark in which they will firmly say that if you serve God as you serve Him today, you will perish. If you do not return to the ancient path of goodness, and if you do not know the mystery that has been kept for, for generations, you will perish. Lord, allow us today to be these kind of representatives of your city, of your life. Allow us today to, like Abraham, to see this city. May your mercy be blessed for your people. May your glory be blessed among your people. May your healing come into your nation. Because by freeing your inheritance from the tares, you are preparing them Because there are many wounds, many wounds that have been brought upon your people, and the wicked had trampled on over them. They had lifted their heads up high, by distorting the truth, by replacing understandings, by distorting them, by pouring dirt all over them. But the day has come, the hour has come, when you told your people to lift their heads because such wars have started that will not be stopped. The whole world is afraid of the Third World War thinking that somehow they're going to be able to run away from it, but it's impossible to run away from it. But we thank you that we have rest in your heart, 
that you have prepared for us a city that we are the city before your countenance we who serve you in spirit who worship in spirit and truth who continue to study your truth who continue to grow deeper may your inheritance be blessed may those be blessed who keep this order so it could look like a strict army that goes, marches under the banners. We thank you and we bow down before you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.